everyone. Welcome back to But What Will People Say? I'm your host, Disha Mazeppa, and this is a South Asian interracial relationship and lifestyle podcast. Welcome back for another episode. This week, But What Will People Say? turns three. We are three years old around here, and that is so, so exciting. There have been so many new faces that have joined this community, the pod squad, over the past three years, and we've gotten the chance to talk to some incredible people, have some great conversations. I've gotten a chance to connect with all of you, and it's a little bit of a sentimental moment. I'm not going to lie. I didn't think I'd still be here three years later, so I'm excited to keep going. I'm so happy you guys are still here. That's thrilling. If you're new, welcome. If you've spent the last three years tuning in or last two years or one year and you're enjoying the show, make sure you leave us a review, whether that's on Spotify or on Apple. I know I sound like a broken record, but I can't tell you how many people listen to the show and like we have like not that many reviews. I'm like, come on, you guys have to have something to say. You don't even have to say anything. You could just tap that fifth star and call it a day. But if you've been around for any part of this journey, thank you so much. It really, really means the world. And I'm excited to see where we can take this in the future. We've got lots of big plans. Um, One of the things that has stemmed out of this show, of course, is Prime and Prejudice, which is my second podcast. And we got to sit down with one of the cast members of Indian Matchmaking. And we are finally a video podcast. So Make sure you're subscribed because next week we officially go out with video podcasts with that new episode. So November 10th, mark your calendars. I'm coming for you. What else is happening? Ooh, Christmas ornaments. I know it's very early in November, but I have been deep in making Christmas ornaments. And if that is something you are looking for, handmade custom ornaments, reach out to me and I can work with you to help you design some really cool stuff. Or you can check out the things I've already designed. Um, It's just like this thing I do every year that I love to do. It's so much fun and it brings me a lot of joy. So if you're interested in Christmas ornaments, now is a good time to reach out. Okay, getting to it. My guest this week is Liz Hartman. She is the creator of Suyatlo, which is a slow fashion brand that upcycles sari fabric in India and turns it into versatile and timeless fashion pieces that you can wear in a variety of different ways. And she is also in an interracial relationship. She still lives in India. And we go through everything from her relationship to her business. One of the coolest parts about this podcast is I get to talk to women who have started businesses that I like wholeheartedly believe in that are so mission driven and that stand for so much more than just like profit or fashion or whatever. Um, Liz works with survivors of human trafficking. She works with women. She supports the local community in India where she lives and employs them, but not just gives them a job, but trains them in entrepreneurship and higher level skills and tailoring skills so that they truly get to have a say in the business, in the brand. They get to have a seat at the table. And there's so much more to Suyatlo than just the clothes that they produce. And she's an incredible human. She is amazing. If you are looking for her products, all of the links for her shop, her Instagram, everything is in the show notes. And if you're in the New York City area, 
She also sells at The Canvas, which I believe is located in Oculus at World Trade Center. Um, Lots of great places to find her. And the cool part about this podcast is during a holiday season, I do get to celebrate and highlight some of the brands that I've had the opportunity to get to know the creators and their products. And I think you guys should know about them too. So without further ado, here's Liz Hartman. Hi, everybody. We are here with Elizabeth Hartman. She is the creator of Sweatlo, and you're currently in New Delhi. Tell us how you got there. Yes, um, I'm living in New Delhi right now. Um, I do spend some time back in New York where I, I moved here from New York in 2019. So I spend summers in New York. But yeah, overall, I'm living in New Delhi. Um, I started coming to India in 2016 to work with an NGO in Gujarat. I really loved how it felt here. I I don't know how exactly to explain it. Just the culture, it's a little bit slower. Um, I felt like I kind of identified with that, especially coming from a corporate fashion background where it was always go, go, go and craziness and always something to do. And then here, you know, people, um, they stop what they're doing to have their tea, to have their coffee. You know, in the US, we're always walking around like with our coffees and running from here and there. And here it just felt like such a nice, you know, Aram say chai pio. Like I love that. And that's kind of something that I really, you know, I really connected with that. And then um, I came back in 2016 to six months later, I kept thinking about India, I came back here in 2017, and just traveled all around South India, looking at different craft techniques and exploring different temple towns. And, and it was kind of like a back and forth thing since then until 2019, when I met my husband Ashwat uh, in New Delhi, we met on Tinder. I, <laughs> I, I went out with him in January of 2019. Thinking that it would just be like another Tinder date, right? Like anybody listening, if y'all ever tried Tinder, you know, 99.9% of the time, it's just, uh, it's either maybe fun, but overall quite disappointing. You might leave a date feeling like, ugh, you know. Um, But I thought I was about to go out to Rajasthan and Gujarat to find some fabrics in different villages, right? You know, from the printers themselves. And I thought, why don't I just go have some fun, meet this guy, have some drinks in the city before before I leave. And we ended up having the absolute best time. Like, he actually invited me to a party um, after we had our drinks. He said, well, my friend was having a party. I said, I'd go in case the state went poorly. But, <laughs> you know, do you want to come with me? So we went. His friends were awesome. We had such a lovely night. And then as I was traveling, because I had to leave for Jaipur in two days. So as I was traveling, every night we would talk on the phone. And I don't remember the last time I've spoken on the phone like that you know we all text now or we email like we don't really talk on the phone that much right but every night it was this person who I had just met and we were just talking and talking and then two weeks later I came back to New Delhi I started staying with him more and more and then I guess by March I just had moved in and I still live there it's three years later (laughs) like I still live in the same place and yeah we decided to get engaged pretty quickly you know, I was supposed to go back in April. And he said, stay, let's get married. So I stayed. And we ended up getting um, married under the Special Marriages Act here in India. If you're a foreigner, or if you're two people of even if you're both Indian, but you're of different religions, which probably a lot of folks are knowing, you need to register it with the Special Marriages Act in India. So we did that in New Delhi in um, December of 2019. 
you're supposed to have our big Indian wedding. He's uh, from South India. His family's Tamil. So we had all of these like really beautiful functions planned around that in March of 2020, which if yeah. everybody remembers yeah. March of 2020, that didn't happen. So we did get the, we did do the Hindu marriage. Um, it was actually on March 22nd, 2020, which was the, uh, the Janta curfew, the day that Modi had everybody like staying home and clapping their pans outside in the street. Um, so nobody could leave. Even our friends in Delhi, like couldn't come to his parents' house for the, for the Farahs. So it was literally us and some random aunties and uncles from the area who I had never met before. One of them I had to, it was an uncle. I had to sit on his lap because that's part of Tamil tradition. There's a picture. I will share it with you. There's a picture of me sitting on this random man's lap who would normally, it would be my dad, um, me sitting on his lap, which I actually don't know what's worse, my dad or a random stranger. But it it worked out, you know, it was fine. Now I'm close with those people. But at the time, I had never met them before. So I was like, well, I guess this is just what we're doing. And yeah, I've been living there since then, since 2019, or here rather. I just got back from New York. So I'm kind of having that like, what's here and what's there confusion in my mind. Yeah. It's such an almost like a cliche story, right? Like you were describing your hustle and bustle life in New York City, and then suddenly you had a moment to slow down and pause in another country with a different lifestyle, and you just couldn't go back to it. And I think at this point, post-pandemic, a lot of people can relate to that because that that shutdown, the lockdowns, all of that was the first time we all had to pause – and I think a lot of people can resonate with that feeling of I'm never going back to that. Yeah. I know it, me, I know a lot of people who started either working from home or lost their job and had time to do something else and realize like, oh, like life doesn't have to be the hustle and bustle, coffee in hand, always on the go. There can be a pause and there can be a different kind of life that is maybe more fulfilling or more meaningful than it was before. Oh, 100% for sure. Although, you know what, being back in New York this time, it does. So I was there in June and July of this year. And it does feel like things are kind of getting back to where they were in the city. And I I did enjoy I did enjoy, you know, grabbing an iced coffee and like running to meetings. And you know, I thought this is nice for a certain period of time. And I think it's good for us kind of to schedule and okay, I need to have a few days where I'm not doing anything where I'm working from home. And then I can run out there and do my meetings and get things done and kind of like having that cycle of, you know, ups and downs and allowing ourselves to kind of flow with things instead of always being on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a sweet spot a lot of people are trying to find because like you, I I kind of like being busy. I like the kind of running around like today. It's been like up since 630, doing stuff, going places, like grabbing that coffee you know, going to run out the door after this, but like in a comfortable pace, not in like a, I'm running out of time. Just like, I like that I have a plan today, but then I also have days where it's like, tomorrow's going to be much more chill. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of like at home, got some calls, got some, you know, chats to have with people. Um, And also scheduling in time for chatting and catching up with people. Because like you said, talking on the phone is like not a thing, but I actively, maybe it's because I podcast, like look to have conversations and almost have to set up like monthly and biweekly like calls with people I don't regularly get to see or only am friends with virtually. And that's been actually really nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I think that is something that happened a lot more as the, you know, the pandemic progressed and we were all at home. 
and we realized how important it is to stay in touch with the people we love. I think in the pre-pandemic world, a lot of us were, I mean, I, I can speak for myself, I was definitely running around all the time. I wasn't thinking about my relationships as much as I do now. And yeah, I guess to your point, I do try to be more involved in that now, like talking to friends at home and sending voice notes. Is that a thing that people are doing now? Because I've noticed I've been getting a lot more of those instead of texts, sending voice notes and kind of yes. understanding someone's tone and what exactly they mean to say. It's been a great way to communicate. Yeah, definitely been an uptick in voice notes. I've been like slowly getting into the voice <laughs> note game. I, I think for me, I just talk so much that I'm like, this can snowball very quickly, whereas writing forces me to like slow down and like make a concise point. Mm -hmm. um, but this intentional relationship maintenance and building, I think, has become more prominent for sure. And speaking of relationships, you ended up meeting your now husband and deciding to stay in India. How do we break that news to your family back home? Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, so my mom and I are pretty close, right? She and I talk on the phone all the time. And um, I, I've been coming back and forth from US to India. So I was here. And especially when I'm here, I'll call her more. And as I was dating and, you know, trying to meet somebody, I would tell her about these boys I was seeing, a lot of them from Tinder or online somewhere, Bumble, whatever. And I would give them names, you know, like uh, Hat Guy, or we, we'd give them all sorts of silly <laughs> yeah. names. There was a guy, I dated a guy that always wore a hat, so he was Hat Guy. Uh, but Ashwath is a lawyer, so he was Lawyer Boy. And one day I called and I was like, well, Lawyer Boy's name is Ashwath, and I think I'm going to marry him. She was like, what? <laughs> like, he was just a guy you were dating a month ago and now you want to marry him and I said yeah he's really wonderful and I know it's silly to say like when you know you know but we knew like we were hanging out 24 7 we loved each other's company it was super super effortless and it just 100% felt like the right thing and it still does today all it'll be four years next January actually four years later um and I had had like a slew of really terrible relationships and terrible dates before this so for anyone listening just like there is, I believe there's someone out there for everybody. And it's just about like, keep dating, keep meeting people, keep going for it. Cause I, I, to this day, can't believe I met him that I have this awesome, mm -hmm. beautiful partner who we make each other so happy. We fight like cats and dogs. We make each other so happy. And I, it's just, I wouldn't have believed it was possible until it actually happened, but it is. But yeah, to your question, my parents were really, really shocked. They were very scared. They were like, who's this guy? Is he some crazy guy? Like what's going on? And then we had um, a Zoom chat. It was FaceTime. I don't know if we were using Zoom back then. That was 2019. It was FaceTime. <laughs> and then they FaceTimed with his parents and everybody liked everybody. And it just, it worked out pretty well. At first it was shocking, but then it went, it went pretty well. Have they been able to meet in person since uh, then? Girl, oh my God. This whole, they were supposed to come here in March. And then his parents were supposed to go there in June 2020 because that's when our church wedding with my family was supposed to be everyone's tickets were booked and then slowly over time everyone's tickets just like kept getting canceled um ashworth ended up coming with me in june 2021 to do the wedding um we couldn't keep putting it off and that was actually right after india's second wave which i'm sure you know all about mm -hmm. and um you know the u.s had cut off admittance to indians ashworth however was married to me and we we had the certificate so he was allowed to come into the country, but his parents weren't. So my parents are now trying to plan for next March. So we're hoping <laughs> that this can happen because 
you know, my, my in-laws, my mom and my mother-in-law are like close friends. They talk on the phone, they text each other, like they really like each other. So I'm looking forward for them, you know, to meet and hang out. Yeah, I don't, I, I think at this point, it's hard to find a relationship that hasn't been impacted and sidelined and railed through by yeah. the pandemic. I, we've all had these experiences of things just getting not quite according to plan. Yep, that's the truth. So if what are some things that the listeners here should know about the way you maybe grew up or were raised that kind of impact your life and the way you live it now? Hmm. Um, with regard to India or generally? Or just choosing like this kind of like non-traditional life, right? Like you don't end up living abroad kind of on a whim if you weren't kind of raised to maybe like be someone or been through experiences that made you a little more almost borderless? Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. You know what? I never, I guess I thought about India a lot, right? Like I was, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. There are, there's a really beautiful, lovely South Asian community there. There's a beautiful temple there. Um, there's a lot of Indian stores and stores that sell a variety of um, items from South Asia. And I used to be fascinated, fascinated by those stores. Like there's a street in the South side called the Carson, Carson Street in Pittsburgh. And my parents and I used to go down there and there's this store called the Culture Shop that had all these different things from around the world. A lot of them were from, um, were from India. And there were a lot of the god and goddess statues, many Ganeshas, today's Ganesh Chakorthy, thinking about that. And I was just fascinated by it. I wanted to know more about it. I thought it was incredible. And anytime any South Asia-related thing came up, whether that be I would meet somebody from there, or I would see a store with things from there, I would just be really curious and want to know more. I just always felt really attracted to the fabrics and the the visuals and the art, something about that I just always loved. And and when I came here and I was surrounded by it, I thought, oh, this is amazing. And I feel, I feel so happy. So you found a place that can also feel like home outside of Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know. I still try to like put words to the feeling of the first time I walked out into a street. And it was actually in Baroda and Gujarat. Um, by myself completely because I came here to be with an NGO right so they came and picked me up they brought me to the house I wasn't really alone at first but then we had a craft exhibition in Baroda and everybody was busy and I thought let me go explore Baroda I want to go see that Lakshmi Villas palace you know it's supposed to be nice and I walked out and I was in the street and I kind of got absorbed into a group of aunties and we were like walking across the street together and there was like a flow of people going around the flow of cars with the flow of animals and everyone's like dancing together in the street you know like the, the red lights just a suggestion <laughs> people don't really stop Facts. and I just thought wow everybody's together here and everybody's and I just felt like I could fit right in there and it felt really nice that's a great metaphor of like people dancing together because I'm not sure I would have described it that way <laughs> what happens <laughs> when you're in it? the cars the cows the people just all of it but I love it um and so you've been there for a few years, you worked in the fashion industry, and you now have a brand called Sviatlo. So tell us about that. Yeah, so Sviatlo uh, is a Polish word meaning light to illuminate. My mom is of Polish heritage. We still have family in Warsaw, and we go there pretty regularly. And I had originally thought about giving it an Indian name, my brand that I was starting. But I thought, you know what, it's, we're making an in India, and I live in India, and I don't, I, there's a lot of things to consider as a Western person living here and expressing 
a lot of Indian things through my work and how am I telling that story and that narrative. And I just felt I couldn't also claim the name as my own. I had to use something that was from me and my heritage um, to claim as my own because it is. So we chose to go with the Polish name and that's where that came from. But um, we work with two units right now. We work with Master Gigi for Girl. They're a unit that trains women from around, it's an all women's unit, and they train women from around Delhi and other places in India in um, more traditional fashion school things, right? So the founder, Gayatri Jolly, is a Parsons graduate, as am I, and that's kind of how we met and got to know each other. And she teaches women not just to sew, but also designing, entrepreneurial skills, a variety of other things that would encourage that would enable these girls to not just be seamstresses, but to actually manage floors to start their own businesses. She imagines them going farther than just seamstresses, right? So they produce a lot of my work. And I also sometimes volunteer teach with them. And I love to just hang around and learn about what they're doing. It's like such a good vibe at that studio. And the other studio I work with is around the corner from them, which is pretty convenient. Um, It's called Women Fiber to Fashion, and they employ survivors of human trafficking. It's pretty much all women, except for the master tailor, who's a man. He's a very sweet guy. He helps with everything around. Um, Women Fiber to Fashion actually often hires graduates of Master G. So they work together quite well. Um, And our main product is the upcycled sari kaftan, which is, of course, exactly what it sounds like, right? Uh, A sari. There's a vendor who goes around to different villages outside of the city buying saris from random women. And he shows up with this big bag of random saris. (laughs) And some of them are great. Some of them are a mess. Each sari, we have to take the time to wash it. There's a washing machine there, so obviously we wash it. And we patch it. Uh, the girls are really amazing at patchwork. So we'll sometimes we'll try to make it not obvious with the same color. Sometimes if there's a lot of holes, we'll just use different color patches and make it like, okay, this was intentional, the patchwork look. And every year we get better about choosing what saris to use. Because not all saris you can use to make clothes. Some of them are very thin and nice. And if you stitch on it, it'll just fall apart, right? So it's always kind of a learning curve and then any saris that cannot be used like they don't throw anything out of this unit they make felt so they're a unit that's really known for felted products they make handbags out of felt so they'll felt the saris the ones that cannot be made into clothes which is really cool that's amazing and in a country full of saris and probably just has as almost as much waste in terms of clothing and fashion as other places because obviously we have styles that come in and out, things that aren't fashion, aren't um, saris that end up being used for other things. It's always nice to have a purpose for them. And then you sell these online, but you also sell like in pop-ups and stuff, it seems like in New York. Yes. So our one of our, or my favorite retailer right now, of course, is The Canvas. Um, they are a shop. They have two shops in Manhattan, one at the Seaport and one at the World Trade Center Oculus that has just recently opened. They house over 100 international brands that meet a certain number of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So they're 100% sustainable fashion. When you have a chance, go check them out. They're amazing. And they're such an incredible retail partner. Like They aren't just selling stuff, right? Like They give us insight on what people want to buy and what customers are saying. And they're just really fantastic. I love working with them. Um, We've worked with a few other retailers off and on. A lot of them are online. And then I also show at the Grand Bazaar NYC at 77th and Broadway when I'm in town. I'm currently working on seeing how I can set it up that I don't need to be there, but I can send stock for someone else to go. That market is just phenomenal. Anyone in New York, I would recommend you go there on Sundays. 
they have so many amazing small designers, vintage boutiques, jewelry, food, like it's just such a good vibe. Awesome. And that's awesome because like obviously most of my listeners here are in the U.S., I am located near New York City, and so it's always nice to be able to kind of go around in places in the city where I feel like South Asians are really having their moment. Oh, my God, totally. Um, And South Asian brands, foods, products, all of it, and you go in, and it's kind of nice being the person who's like, oh, I know this person, or I know who created this, and um, it's actually been really cool being in the city lately. Um, But like you mentioned, there are things to consider as a Westerner in India. And obviously, you're creating this brand out of India and their products. What are some of the things that you think people should be considerate of when, you know, taking parts of this culture and kind of bringing it abroad to make it more accessible to other people? Hmm. Well, I think first, before I told anyone anything, it was important for me to become educated on India as much as possible. So, you know, I started reading books about partition and about things that had happened in the South. And, you know, I think to love a place or to love a person to love anything, you can't just, I, I knew I couldn't start a brand thinking, oh, India is so beautiful and having that like foreigner, you know, peachy eyes on it. Like I had to know exactly what had happened in India and all these different things about the history. And so I did learn about, you know, political stuff and, and uh, a variety of other things. I mean, they kind of like escapes me right now, but I, I would only read Indian authors also like, I can't remember the name of that one guy. I will have to get it to you. This one person had written a beautiful book on partition. And as you know, growing up in the U S I didn't learn a lot about that. So that was wonderful to learn about. And then to learn about specifically weaves and crafts, right? I sell a lot of block printed stuff. So it's important to know like block prints are not all the same. You have some from Sanganir in Rajasthan, you have some from Buj in Gujarat and what are the differences and what do the motifs mean? And so if I'm going to present information to people, I want to make sure that I'm presenting correct information, that it's presented in a, in a, in a respectful and courteous way, in a way that makes sense. And yeah, in a way that it's celebratory, you know, we're celebrating these beautiful fabrics and this beautiful culture. And I want people to see it the way I do, which is that it's just, it's incredible. There's nothing else like it in the world, uh, Indian fabrics and Indian culture. And, you know, it's very, very old culture. Like, and it's still here. Like, that's fantastic. That's so inspiring. Absolutely. And I, I do love seeing brands find a way to celebrate, like, what South Asia has to offer, like, conscious way. Because ultimately, the way I see it is, like, if there aren't people willing to, like, make these things accessible here. Like I remember growing up and my parents trying to find things like okra at the supermarket. That was just really hard because they just didn't sell it in a regular grocery store. You had to go to Jersey City or you had to go to those streets in different little Indias to find specific things. Whereas now you can kind of go to most grocery stores and there's at least some variety of South Asian foods or ingredients that like if you were, you know, you needed to get it or you don't want to go out of your way to find like it's there. And so for me, I'm a big proponent of allowing other people outside of South Asia bring what we have to offer to other places, because how else do you expose other people to your culture if you're not making it accessible? Hmm. Like I'm a very firm believer in that. But obviously, there's a level of like consciousness you want to have with that where we're not just like 
taking these fabrics and turning them into clothes and selling them but also like there's a bit of education and like where does this come from and what does it mean and where you know what it is and so I really appreciate like the route you've taken to make this possible and I love the sort of these underlying like we're supporting women in India and helping them um you mentioned like survivors of human trafficking and like these groups that often get overlooked you know it would be easy to you know go to India and buy a bunch of saris and make some kaftans and sell them like that's just like the surface level of it but there's so much more to your brand that if you wanted listeners to know something about your brand and what it stands for, what are the things you want people to know? Well, in addition to, you know, wanting to be a social venture, like it's not just fashion for us. It's also being supportive of, you know, whatever communities we can be involved in and also being supportive of our final customer, right? Like I design every piece myself. I I don't, you know, copy anything or, you know, resell stuff that someone else designed. I design things that are meant to be comfortable, that are meant to be a classic silhouette that you can wear for years and years on end, you know, we're not super trend driven. Like I follow the trends, but I don't like to do them literally because then, you know, that's not very sustainable, right? To make something that's only going to be good for a year or so. And I like to make things that can be worn year round. Like this is an open front caftan with a waist tie. You can wear it with a bathing suit. You can wear it with a jean and t-shirt. You can wear it with a turtleneck under it. And people have done that. I have so many fantastic, beautiful photos from clients who have sent me, you know, their pictures from various times throughout the year. So I want to also add value, you know, to the person who is purchasing this garment, like how many times she can wear it and all the places she can wear it. And, you know, it can be like a staple in her wardrobe, something that she really enjoys and will use, you know, for, like I said, for, for years to come. But I think that's it's just as important, right? Like serving the beginning of the supply chain and the end of the supply chain and kind of like making everything as useful and important as it possibly can be. Yeah, and there's so much attention to detail. Like, um, even the kaftans or whatever you purchase comes in like this bag made out of a sari as well, which I thought was awesome because like we're going from like beginning to end, right? Just like you said, from just not just the supply chain but the consumer, and every part of this has had so much thought put into it like we're trying to be good for the environment obviously you can reuse those bags but we're also not letting scraps of fabric go to waste because you're turning that into something besides something wearable um and so it's, it seems like a very mission driven brand absolutely Ult- ultimately what is what is the thing that drives this mission you know um i guess if i That's such a beautiful question. I guess, like, you know, my desire to be creative and to bring beauty into the world and wanting to do that with other people, to collaborate with people, especially to collaborate with people I wouldn't normally find if I was just out on my own, right? Like, these girls that we work with at both Master G and Women Fiber to Fashion, they're not just sewing the stuff. Like, they give me so many amazing ideas. They're such creative people. And they're really encouraged by both the units to kind of speak out and share their thoughts. So, there have been times where we've changed the lengths of things of the captains because some of the girls think that it would look nicer and it works out really well. Or when we do patchwork dresses, I don't ever tell them where to put the patchwork. They they choose what colors to go together and it just looks fantastic and amazing. And then when we bring these captains to New York and we see these beautiful people there styling them different ways and kind of sharing how they would like to wear it, like 
it's just kind of bringing joy and happiness and creation to as many people as possible and kind of living that way. Like it feels so good to exist in that space, you know, as much as possible. Yeah. And as like a, it's very much like a do good brand, right? And the one thing I feel like you offer that is probably the most valuable ultimately is the opportunities for these women in India. Cause like you said, like when you come from these situations and these backgrounds, a lot of the world overlooks you, right? Like that, oh, this person probably can't bring a whole lot to the table, but for you to be able to say you're not just the seamstress, like we're going to teach you how to be the manager of the floor or create fashion design and giving them the free reign to sort of like, where are these patches going to go? How are we going to design these outfits? Like, it's not this like micromanagey sort of like, I'm the overseer. This is what you're going to do because this is your job description. Like, there's an opportunity there to learn and to grow and give people, especially women who feel maybe some feel like they need that someone to tell them what worth they bring to the table, mm. that they're capable of doing something, that they can be independent and they can have a say and a, quite quite literally a seat at the table. You know, I feel like we talk about that very metaphorically as women and being here right outside of New York City, having a seat at the table has a very, very different meaning than what it does for the women you work with. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things those women have been able to teach you? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, you know what? I think it, it comes back to that relax or I'm safe thing. Like, there have been times where I've gone to the studio and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this, you know, we got to figure out how to make this and how to make that. And it's clear that I'm like kind of a little bit of a wreck. And they'll just be sitting there, come sit. Beto, please. Like, and then I'll just sit with them. And then we have nice conversation. And, you know, I'm Hindi right? I'm learning a little bit and I'm able to communicate with them. And then we'll kind of help each other out. They know a little English. I know a little Hindi. and We'll make it work somehow. And, yeah, it's, it's a regular reminder to, like, not get too stressed about silly things. Like, okay, what sleeve are we putting on this dress? Because these girls, they're not stressed about that stuff. They they've come from a background where like, that's the last thing they're thinking about. And not to say that anybody would want that for anybody, of course, not at all, but more, they just like, they have this beautiful outlook of just trying to take things as they come and not, you know, because I I stress too much really. And being around them is just, they have such beautiful energy. Amazing. Do you, what has kind of the biggest change maybe you've seen in yourself since opting to move to India permanently or at least semi-permanently I don't know Um, I think that would be a huge part of it actually like letting taking things as they come trying to I I have this mantra in my head like relax and enjoy anytime there's some crazy thing that happens let's say like I'm in a cab right and we're on our way from uh over to Oakland where the the unit is and there's always some crazy thing happening on the street and we get stuck and I'm late and I just think, okay, you know what? Relax and enjoy. Just be here. Look at the street. There's people there. They're interesting. There's a car there. This lady has a pink sari on. That's cool. And that translates into so much of what happens in my life. Like even in New York, you know, you're sitting there at the train. Train stops. The guy says something, but you can't understand what he's saying. You don't know how long you're going to be sitting there. Oh, you can relax and enjoy. I'll start looking at what people are wearing or go on my phone and look at pictures and 
just try to try to not take everything so seriously all of the time. Absolutely. When you opted to move there, do you think this is a permanent move or do you think you'll find yourself back in the States? I don't know. I mean, so far we do want to live here. Like Ashwath is a lawyer. If he wants to be a lawyer in the US, he has to go back to school, which is insanely expensive. Um, I don't want to go back to the office life. And I know I don't want to do that because I had an amazing job. Like I was working at Club Monaco as a tech designer. Everyone I worked with was so cool. It was um, a great office. The work was not so bad. You know, you'd leave at 630 every day. And even then I was like, this is like a really good situation. And I still know that the office lifestyle is just kind of not for me, like getting up really early, doing the commute, coming back. And so if we went back now, I would have to do that. Um, If my business does really, really well, hoping, praying, manifesting that one day business will do really, really well. Maybe if I could live in the US with those funds, then we could come back. But also I really love it here. Like, I don't think I want to stay in Delhi forever. Um, I don't know if you've been to Pondicherry in the South. I have not. I love it there. If you ever have a chance, you come back to India. Maybe you're making it to the South. Pondicherry is beautiful. Like it's a little beach town, but it's very French. Um, it's Tamil. My husband's family is Tamil. He speaks a little Tamil. It's just a beautiful place. And I, I dream of ending up there one day, but that would be a while from now. So I guess we'll see. How does your husband feel about all of your adventures. Ah, <laughs> I mean, he thinks it's great. He he just he tells me regularly. He thinks it's a, you know wonderful that I've come here and I've managed to kind of like build a life for myself and you know and with him for for our relationship. But we have a dog now, um, a little doggy named Freddie. He's the best. <laughs> uh, but it's difficult for me to leave as much as I used to because then Ashwath has the whole responsibility of taking care of him and it's two walks a day. You know, he's a golden retriever, so he needs two walks. uh, We adopted him when he was one year, by the way, we wanted to get an indie, but a family during COVID had adopted him. And then as COVID ended, they realized it was a lot of work. So they left him at a shelter. We, uh, I don't ascribe to shopping adopt. Don't shop. Yeah. I just wanted to feel like I always have to say that here. Like when they're like, Oh, you have a golden. I'm like, we didn't buy him. (laughs) We we adopted him. (laughs) So this is a sort of random question. Is dog ownership becoming more popular in India? Because my parents grew up in a world where like dogs lived outside. Like dogs don't belong in the house. We don't have dogs. And like I have a dog now, obviously with me and my husband. Um, And she's a rescue. We've rescued all the doggos that – and uh, in in New Jersey, you actually can't like buy a dog. You'd have to like go out of state. Um, But anyway, like – dog ownership for like my parents generation is still like either your children forced it on you and then you like got over it <laughs> now you have a dog and yeah, yeah now you have a dog <laughs> or like we moved out and then got a dog right and in, so in India what is like that like do people have dogs yeah so we weren't sure at first I know Ashwath always wanted a dog and so did I we've had a cat he he has had a cat when I met him he was a single cat parent he's had a cat for a few <laughs> years now kimchi We thought, let's make our family complete. Let's get a dog. And so we started seeking out things to do with Fred, right? Because dog parks, the way they are in New York, obviously there aren't such thing as a gated dog park here in many areas. So we found specifically made, there's a place called Tail Club in Gurgaon outside of Delhi. It's like a big area for the dog to run. They have a pool for the doggies. Then there's a cafe for people, right? So you can grab yourself a fresh lime soda 
while your dog's playing and it's like the best. And so we've been meeting more dog parents and I joined some groups on Facebook, you know, dogs in Delhi and blah, blah. And so, yeah, there is like, it's not huge, but there is like a, a culture of people who really like dogs and more cafes are coming up that are allowing dogs. There's an area called Don Mill Compound and a lot of like Cafe Dory. Um, the, there's a place called Chocolate or something that we go to sometimes. And you could take the dog inside. Like there's a lot of places where you can sit outside with the dog, but you know how it is. It gets so hot here. So it's nice to be inside in the AC. And yeah, it's been cool. We've been exploring. Actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, having Fred has really allowed us to explore more in Delhi that we might not have seen otherwise. So it's been pretty cool to uh, see what's going on in the dog world out there. I love that for India. I love that dogs yeah, are becoming part of the culture. <laughs> um, speaking of, I guess, somewhat a Western culture thing to have in India, before we started recording, we were talking about how holidays and stuff in another country can feel a little bit watered down and almost like disappointing. Mm. For you, you're in India. So how has that been for you adjusting to having so many different probably Hindu holidays, which tend to predominate in India, even though there's so many other religions that like get (laughs) overlooked a little bit? Um, What's that been like? Oh, I love it. I mean, like I was mentioning to you earlier, like you said, we were talking. um, I woke up today and I was just at home and I heard drumming and I thought it was Bharat because sometimes people will just like do randomly do. But I thought, wow, yeah. on a Wednesday, you guys like baller. And I looked outside and they, they had the Ganesh and I said, oh, yeah, it's Ganesh Chakorthi today. So I ran downstairs and the aunties kind of, you know, called me over. We were kind of, you know, drum was going on and it was really fun. And that just that stuff just it happens, which it's not random to me. It, it My perception of it is still it happens randomly. I know it's not random. They're all like holidays that people celebrate. But it happens very often, especially now. Um, Festive season is beginning. Many, many things. You know, Desera is going to come, Durga Puja, uh, Diwali. Like, I, I love it. I love it so much. I think it's great. People get so excited. People are in good spirits. Um, but yeah, then Christmas comes around and it's kind of like, womp, womp. You know, like, people are into it. You can find people. Like, I had been mentioning, I found a few people who do celebrate. We celebrate. But uh, Ashwath and I started what I hope is becoming a new tradition for us called Fredcation where we take our dog Fred and we drive up to the mountains for Christmas to New Year's. We stay in a little cabin. Last year we went to Rishikesh um, and we were like hiking all around there because I had a friend there. So we stayed with her, but this year I'm wondering if maybe we'll go to Himachal. I've actually never, I've been so many places in India, but not Himachal. And everybody says it's the best, that it's awesome. And so I'm hoping we will go there. And then it's just kind of like, I don't really have to think about Christmas, but it's an excuse. You know, courts are closed, so Ashworth has time off, so we can go and hang out with our dog in the woods and, you know, drink old monk next to a fire, and it's good times. Coming up with new traditions is a topic that comes up a lot on this podcast, Mm. being an interracial podcast. It means there's usually two cultures, two religions, different holidays and things, and it's always, like, how do you manage to fit in both cultures and different holidays? And the solution more or less is always like new traditions. This is you're creating something new, make some new traditions. What are some of the new traditions you guys have created besides your holiday at the end of the year, which sounds super fun? Yeah, our Fredcation. Um, <laughs> let's see. Well, so he we have to work around his schedule a lot, right? Because as a lawyer, he can't leave Delhi, which you know, sucks. I love traveling in India. I love taking long, um, 
holidays, not holidays, but like long little trips. Like I went to Jaipur recently for a few days. It was fun. Um, but in June, he also has court shut. So it seems June is going to be our like international travel month, whether that means we go to US together or we, you know, every now and then we'll kind of dream about it. Like, oh, let's go to Tokyo or, oh, let's go to Amsterdam or let's see. I don't know if we'll do any of those things, um, but that seems to be something that we're doing. When it comes to Indian holidays, so Ashwath is not a religious person. He's not really super into like all the spiritual stuff. I actually am. I, I'm very spiritual and I love all the meanings behind Hinduism and all of the gods and goddesses. And I think it's fa- fantastic and so inspiring. But he's like, okay. But his our parents, Amma Appa, his parents are just 30 minutes away. So when holidays happen, like Pongal or Diwali, like we'll spend the day with them. We'll cook and hang out and you know, so we share in each of those things. Whatever I want to do for Christmas, he does it. He doesn't mind. Like, we'll exchange gifts. We'll do stuff. He's uh, he's not super into planning things, but he's always down to come and hang out and participate in some way. Yeah, that's usually, right, the expectation. It's like, I just want you to participate. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you don't always have to understand it. Like, my husband's like that, too, you know. He doesn't always understand. Like, for him, he's like, I don't know how to do Diwali. I don't. I don't even know where I would begin with that. So he's like, you plan your thing and like, w- I will participate. I will do all of the things. Um, Wonderful. So that's pretty much, I'm like, that's good. That's enough. That's all I need. Um, for you, has it been easy, difficult to like have your own community there? Because it seems like you sort of have your own friends and your own life there apart from your husband. What has that journey been like? So, I mean, it's been great. Um, I've been volunteering for an organization called Internations, which is present in every city. And there's an awesome chapter in New York. So anybody listening, internations.org, sign up. The people who work with them are fantastic. I went to a few of their events while I was home. But so I organize expat networking events here. And we have an event once or twice a month. And I've met a lot of people through there. Um, But when it comes to building, like, I do have a few friends here who like live here and we've gotten very close but a lot of people man they keep moving to goa like even after it's the spot dude so many people are in goa and i'm like i want to go but obviously have you been there i love it it's so cool it's beautiful i've never so nice been to the south though which a lot of my girlfriends have moved to the south so i could go there i could stay with them i could hang out with them you know anytime i have a chance to leave delhi but you know how goa is like you can't just go for two days or you don't want to just go for two days like you want to have like a solid five to seven days minimum to go there because you got to get to the airport then drive to wherever you know everything's kind of spread out but yeah a lot of people move to Goa or a lot of people go home like after the pandemic it really shook the foundation of our community over here a lot of our members are embassy people because we're in Delhi right or multinational corporation people in Gurgaon a lot of those folks got shipped home but then some folks have come to replace them so we've got like this fresh influx of people right now and we're kind of like wading through that and meeting new people like we just had an event this last Saturday that had a great turnout which was really very encouraging you know to see people coming out and meeting each other so it's kind of an ongoing process um, as people don't always stay in New Delhi I feel that Mumbai community is a little stronger and that people move there intentionally to stay in Mumbai whereas Delhi is kind of a place that people come for a while I mean given this has been my personal experience others might have a completely different story but I've seen a lot of people come and go from here specifically. 
Yeah, expat communities are interesting because obviously they're all over the world. Um, Michael and I have very much looked into them in Costa Rica because Ooh. that's like that's like the place where I would like to oh. end up one day. Amazing. Um, but yeah, expat communities are people from all over the world who have sort of located to another country and have decided to call it home for whatever amount of time. Um, is there a large expat community in India? Because it seems like there is. It seems like there's a pretty like large flowing ecosystem of expats, especially because it is a country that has had so many colonies and people from other countries like go as a Portuguese colony. And so a lot of people there speak Portuguese. Yeah, totally. I mean, you got the Portuguese colonies and like I was mentioning Pondicherry, you have a whole French situation going on down there. People who are speaking French and Tamil, which is wild because, you mm-hmm. know, as I'm learning Hindi and it's beautiful but difficult i don't even know how people can speak tamil i've tried to learn from my husband it's very hard any tamil speakers out there big respect to you like it's very difficult but yeah um there's a lot of expats here and a lot of them are learning the language and becoming with the culture like you know i've read about the british raj times and how british people are i don't want to call it british yeah like um outsiders would come and they would kind of they'd come here but then they'd reject the indian culture and say bad things about india but then they're they're still here and it's like what are you doing but now people many given there are people who are still being very rude and i don't like that but there are people who come they're learning the culture they're making the food they're not just eating the food they're making the food they're posting it on youtube like it's so cool there are women wearing sari and speaking hindi these are white women and they're totally Indian. And it's just, I love seeing that. If we're going to move here, we got to learn how to be here, you know, like be in the culture and like learning Hindi has been such a game changer for me, like being able to speak to people and being able to understand people. And it's just been like, yeah, as an expat, it's been a kind of awesome and crazy ride. Yeah. The language is always like the biggest barrier. I feel like whenever anyone from one country goes somewhere else, because like, Ultimately, it's your ability to communicate and like languages themselves say so much about a culture. I always say like growing up, I spoke Gujarati and there's like not a lot of words for like feelings because like we just come from a culture that I sometimes feel like we don't talk about our feelings or our emotions. Like I can't really express my emotions in Gujarati, even though it's my first language, whereas in English... I feel like there's a lot more ways for me to like at least try to explain how I'm feeling or something that I'm going through. Um, And so just that in and of itself, I feel like is somewhat a reflection of the culture where that ability to essentially talk about how you feel and your emotions is maybe less valued. And because there's, and maybe there are words for it and no one taught me, I don't know that's possible. But then there's also Hindi, which has its own thing going on. Have you found that now that you are learning the language, that you're maybe almost able to understand the culture a little better? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure exactly how I could pinpoint that. There is um, an interesting – something I noticed in Hindi when I first started learning it is that you have this is at the end, right? Like, uh, hey, you know. The, mm-hmm. like um kali color hey that fabric is black color um, a lot of my hindi is very specific to fashion stuff so but i thought that was really interesting that the is is at the end like it exists existence 
and that the mm-hmm. thought of you know just being and existing and I don't want to get too like woo woo <laughs> like dive into some crazy spiritual thing right now but I was super super into meditation especially then when I first started learning about it and I thought there's just this like existence and being and that's okay that I was feeling here yeah that's enough yeah absolutely a hundred percent and then the and there that is in the language that it ends in the is or was te you know and it it's just that's the end of the sentence and it is. Yeah. And just as it is and it exists and therefore it is enough. Yeah. And I just, I felt that way here, you know, about so many things that things exist and they're okay. You know, why bother about a koibane? Let it be. Hojaga, whatever. And that's an attitude mm-hmm. that people have. People don't, again, back to the stress thing. People generally don't stress about every little tiny thing that in the US a lot of people stress about things. And yeah, I guess I, maybe I do see that in the language now that I'm like kind of putting them together. Thank you for encouraging me to even think about that. But it it is, it is reflected, I think, in a way. For sure. I, I bring that up because I also have had a Hindu priestess on and she talks about Hinduism and she described it as a lifestyle. She's like, it's not a religion. Mm. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of being, right? Like Hinduism has a way for like how to cook and the foods to eat and the, but she's like, ultimately Hinduism doesn't really have any hard and fast rules. Like she's like, you don't have to be vegetarian. There's contradictions everywhere in the religion that say you don't have to be, you can eat whatever you want, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Like she's like, it's ultimately the choices that you make and then you just live that lifestyle and that's fine. And that's why there's no like conversion ritual for Hinduism. There's not really like a process you would go through to convert because it's like if this is something that works for you, then you're Hindu. And then tomorrow if you decide this no longer works for you, then you're not and that's okay too. Like you just exist as you are. I really love that. Yeah, I, I really like Hinduism a lot and I've you know been into it before I met Ashwat, who again, like I've mentioned, is not really so religious. But, you know, I read the Bhagavad Gita a while ago on my commute. I had a really long commute from Astoria, Queens to uh, Club Monaco, which was on like 20, what was it, 26th and 11th or something. It was really far. And so I read the Bhagavad Gita and some other spiritual texts. I have not read the Vedas yet, any of them I would really love. I, I know that that's like a very large undertaking to read any of the Vedas, but I would like to one day. I just, I love the texts and I think they're really interesting and full of useful information and life ideas. That's one of those things that I've never read and my husband has read. Like really? he's before he met me, like in college for like a course, he like Hinduism was the religion he chose to like explore for a project. And we always make fun of like he will sometimes like call me out. He's cause I'll sometimes try to talk about Hinduism, but like I wasn't raised like super immersed in it. And he'll just be like don't try to talk to me about Hinduism. Sometimes I'm more brown than you. <laughs> like if he like really wants to like dig it in, oh he'll like God. throw that one at me. And he's like, nope, that's not, that's wrong. That's not in the books. And I'm like, okay, buddy, chill out. Wow. But it's just like a genuine, like he was like very into it, into it, very interested in it and just like happened to end up marrying a brown girl. But like even before then it was like, kind of like you where there was this initial just general appreciation of a culture that wasn't his mm-hmm. and learning about it and just like generally knowing some stuff. Yeah. Um, but 
the last question I generally always ask my guests is if there was some words of wisdom, some advice you would like to leave the audience here with, what would it be? Oh, wow. So I guess I'd like to kind of refer to an entrepreneurial journey. I'm sure many people here are either are currently doing or are interested in starting something of their own, whether that be a fashion line or another product-based business or a podcast or perhaps a blog, just start it. Like, I think that there's so much pressure on like, you know, making a plan and having all this stuff mapped out, but don't even worry about that. I started Sweetlo when I did not have a business plan and I didn't have everything mapped out. I just did it because I felt so called and drawn to do it. And I'm so happy that I did. I mean, things are still difficult. We're still figuring out a lot, but you know, you can do it and you are perfectly capable of doing it. And all you need to do is just start. Like I I like to say, lay one brick every day and eventually you'll have a house. So even if it's just one little thing, like writing one script or doing one blog post, you'll get closer to your dreams. And I really want to encourage everybody to go after what their, their soul is calling them to do. Like to reference our pandemic conversation, a lot changed. And we realized the lives we want, the lives we wanted for ourselves, and that things could end any day, and everything's so unpredictable. So you know, whatever you're, whatever you're feeling inside, like go for it. You know, don't don't worry too much. Just go where your heart is leading you. That absolutely resonates with the audience here. The amount of times I say, just put one foot in front of the other. Don't worry about getting to the top of the mountain. Mm. Because before you know it, you'll be five miles in and you won't know how you got there. 100%. Um, Absolutely start the things for those people who have listened to the show from the beginning. Lord knows there wasn't a plan. There wasn't even music. There was just me talking. Um, Now we have like intros and outros and stuff. And like, look how far it's come, right? But it took three years and the show looks very different now than it did when it started. And like you, there really was not a plan. It was like one episode with me talking and like, that's where we started. And we kind of just kept going and kept moving. And here we are. So definitely resonates. Love the wisdom. If people wanted to find you online and shop for your products and reach out to you, where could they find you? So our Instagram is Sweatlo Design with um, an underscore. But usually when you type in Sweatlo DE, it'll it'll just pop up. Website is SweatloDesign.com. And so Instagram or website, uh, easily accessible. And I'd love to hear from anybody. If you have any questions about starting a fashion line, starting a business, or traveling to India for the first time. Although I'd imagine probably a lot of your listeners could, or um, your people on the show could probably address that better than I could. But, you know, I'm here. If anybody would like to chat, I'd love to meet meet you. Amazing. As always, all of that will also be in the show notes down below. So you can check out all her stuff. Thank you so much for being a guest. It's been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Make sure if you enjoyed this episode, you leave us a review on iTunes. You can find the show on all major streaming platforms. You can find me on Instagram at disha.mazeppa. You can shop my Etsy shop, Disha Mazeppa Designs. Find out everything you want to know about this show at dishamazeppa.com. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest, you can email bwwpspodcast at gmail.com. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye. This podcast is hosted and produced by Disha Mystery Mazeppa. Music for the show was created by Crexwell. Mm-hmm.